0: They're thankful. Are you thankful? Hey, everybody on Facebook and on YouTube, are you guys thankful? (laughs) Because we need a second chance at that. Are you guys thankful? (laughs) All right, all right. Hey. It's great to see you. It's great to be with you today. Uh, man, we are in a season of thankfulness right now. And I asked some of my friends on Facebook uh, just before I got on stage to just tell me, hey, what are you thankful for? And I, I just want to read a couple of the things that our, our church family across, you know, their, the comfort of their own homes and, and whatnot. Some of them can't be with us presently, but uh, my friend Rebecca uh, said this. Becky said, eyesight... Since my surgery November 4th, everything is blurry out of one eye, but I'm praising God that it'll get better. Uh, My good friend who comes to this campus, Vani, said, I'm grateful for the hope I have in seeing my loved ones again. Uh, My friend Andy said this, praise God, I'm thankful for his constant provisions he's provided for us in our lives. He always knows exactly what we we need. Uh, Kim says, I'm thankful our miracle son is here healthy and safe. And man, there's a lot for us to be thankful for this year. There's a lot for us in the midst of everything going on to take time and not rush towards Christmas, but just to sit in the season of gratitude and cultivate our hearts towards what God is actually doing. You know, I want to be a thankful person, don't you? I want to be a person marked by gratitude. I want to be a person whose life, when I'm gone, people look back and and feel that there's a thankfulness void that's been left in their lives because of just the continual thankfulness that I bring around. I want my family to be thankful. I want my, God help me, I want my kids to be thankful. Kristen and I, we work really hard at this part. We, uh... We coach our kids on a consistent basis. Any parents in the room or watching online, you kind of know the drill. You give your kids uh, that last piece of Halloween candy for the 20th time that day. And they look at you like, are you going to open it for me or what? And you do the thing. And then you hold it out. And then what do you do, parents? You, You pull it back. You go, huh? What do you say? Thank you. You better believe you're thankful. Right? I mean, I want my kids to be thankful. I want a thankful family, but I realize nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, that's literally what I counted this past week. Nine times out of ten, my kids need to be prompted to express thankfulness. There's a story in the book of Luke about Jesus' life. I'd love for you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. There's a story found in Luke 17 that helps us see the power of gratitude and and the danger of failing to express thanks. Luke 17, I'll give you a second as you're flipping open to verse 11, uh, but here, here's what's happening. Jesus has just begun his final journey to Jerusalem from Galilee. It's a three to four day trip. It would be like walking from right here where I am on this stage in Crown Point, Indiana, walking to O'Hare Airport. That's about how far it was for Jesus to go from this point from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's the last time he's going to make this trip. He's going for Passover where he knows a secret. He's going to give up his life. His disciples don't know that yet. And so he starts along this journey, and we pick up the journey very early on, the first day of what would have been a multi-day trip. Look at verse uh, 11 with me. Church family here in the house, you got it? You got it open? You see it? All right, great. Oh, man, this is going to be fun today. Let's go. He says this. He says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who, notice this, stood at a distance, how 20 and 20 of them, they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So you got the picture of what's happening in your mind here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's walking this road between Samaria on his left-hand side, Galilee on his right-hand side, and he's on this road that's dividing the towns. On the outskirts of this town, hanging out in this apparent no-man's land, are these um, small group of socially distanced men. I'll just put it that way. We know they're men. In the Greek, it actually has the word andros right there. It says, in the Greek, it literally says, ten men leopard. These are not ten Lords of these are ten menamonin. Why? Because they have contracted a virus that to the people around them is incredibly dangerous and off-putting. This was a disease that the people of this day were incredibly worried about, so much so that they would um, go to great lengths to make sure that this disease wouldn't spread. Why? Well, because leprosy, this this term of just kind of blanket term for a skin disease in this day, it, it was thought to be highly contagious. So dangerous, their culture deemed it a severe risk to the well-being of society at large. They're, they had um, rules in place to <clears throat> stop the spread. These rules came from God himself, and they were enforced by the leaders of this culture. They were called the Levites and the priests. And I'm not going to read these rules, but here's a summary from the CDC, I mean the LDC, the Levitical Disease Control, found in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And there's two chapters on this. I'm not going to bore you. I just summarized it in one basic statement. You can pretend I'm a governor of this city, just giving you the rules for how to handle leprosy. It says this. It says, infected persons are to be put into isolation for seven days followed by an additional seven days if the condition seems to be clearing up. After 14 days from the onset of symptoms and no new signs of the disease, the person is considered clean. However, if the person remains symptomatic, the person is considered unclean until the infection resolves itself, and thus they could remain unclean indefinitely. Okay, that was the Bible I just kind of read to you, not something out of today's CDC guidance. To to make it even more close to home, Um, people were not trusted to declare themselves clean or unclean. Leviticus 13 tells us that it was the role of the priest who acted as a sort of, you know, testing center to see if you had the disease. If the priest declared you positive for leprosy, you would be sent into isolation outside the camp. I guess we would call that a quarantine. They would wear torn clothes, disheveled hair, and face coverings. I'm not making this stuff up. That last one is actually Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46. Moreover, and worse, the infected person would have to cry out, unclean, unclean. For, for many who had serious cases, leprosy was an economic death sentence. You were removed from your family, you were removed from your property, you were removed from your place of employment, where you were then put into a place of wilderness where you could not infect anyone else. Healing was certainly rare. It must have been possible, though, because Leviticus has an entire chapter devoted to what happens when a priest declares someone to be clean again. They would go to the priest, examine themselves, and the priest would then offer up a sacrifice upon the altars, typically two birds that would be sacrificed for the sins that caused this uncleanness. And then this person would be reunited with their families. They would come back, as it were, from the dead. And they'd be welcomed into the corporate assembly of worship, back into regular communal life, back into the family, back into society. You know, I used to think I had nothing in common with leprosy until 2020 happened. This is the situation. This group of men who are on the outskirts of town, they're up against it. They, they need a miracle. They need some help because they've got a problem that society has pushed them away from them. They're in a tough spot. Look at verse 14 with me. I want you to see how Jesus responds to these people. He's kind of curious for how Jesus might respond to us today, too. Look at this. Are you with me today? Yeah, yeah. Verse 14. uh, Look at these three words. I want you to circle them. They're really important. It says, when he saw, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And notice what happened. And as they went, they were cleansed. This miracle begins with Jesus seeing the lepers. Whenever in the Bible God sees the dysfunction or the chaos or the yearning from someone's heart... He always acts in kindness towards them. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's a fascinating Bible study for you to look up at some point. Whenever Jesus sees someone crying out for mercy, he always moves towards them. And it's no different right here. Jesus sees the desperation of these people. He saw the lepers. And because he saw them, he decides to act on their behalf. The act itself is not recorded by Luke. He just describes the words. These are the words that these men would only typically hear after seven days of not having symptoms of leprosy. Jesus gives them the words right now. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. As if to say, act as if you're already healed. Let me ask you this, church, were they clean yet? No. Should they have gone to the priest's? No, if you try to get a COVID test and you got exposed yesterday, the place is going to send you away, right? They're like, it's too early. Get out of here. Like, you got to wait a little bit longer. That's exactly the, the, true of them, too. They should have waited a little bit longer before they saw the priests. And, and to make, you know, very clear, Jerusalem was only a three-day journey to, to go where the priests were. They needed seven days before they could actually show up to the priests. And yet, incredibly, all of them, all ten of them, they obey. Church, when were they cured? Look back at the text, it says this. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. Isn't that just like Jesus to give you next week's words today? Isn't that just like Jesus to send off these lepers to certify a miracle that had not yet happened Jesus sees what we cannot see, but yet he tells us to go as if we know why we are going. Churches, has, has Jesus ever asked you to take a leap of faith before you ever saw his hand of provision? Have you ever had to trust God at his words before? Maybe it even made sense or you even knew what he was up to. Man, if you're like me and you're watching online, I just want you to punch that like button. If you know that God provides sometimes even before we can see his provision. I want to ask you, what do you do when God moves in you? What do you do when God does the hardest thing for you? This is the burden of the text that Luke has for us right here. This is what Luke really wants to communicate. What do you do when God does the impossible in you and through you? He moves the scene. I want you to see this in Verse 15, he moves the scene from 10 lepers all the way down to just one. Verse 15, look at it with me. He says this. He says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, I want you to circle that as well, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at Jesus' feet, giving him, say it with me, church, thanks. Okay, Dan, we get it. When God meets our faith with blessing, we should give him thanks. It's a cute story. Happy Thanksgiving. Can we be done with 2020 already? Can we get on to Christmas already? Well, um, hang in there, yeah, because uh, Luke is about to do something here that we don't actually expect. There's a plot twist. On the face of this, it might appear that this is just a story about how to give thanks when god does something great in you but luke has not done he's actually saved the most important element of the story for last i didn't read all of verse uh, 16 for you here's the last words of verse 16 it says this it says now he was a samaritan this is kind of where you got to be like a bible person like, if you're new to the Bible and you don't know why that's a big deal, that's okay. Just think about, like, the Hatfields and the McCoys. And this group of people who really were oil and water, didn't really get together, didn't really do much for one another. If you and I were Luke's original audience, we were savvy to the differences between these two groups of people, we would be flabbergasted at this point of the story. Uh, he's a what? A Samaritan? I didn't see that coming. And All of a sudden, the the effect of this would have us replaying this whole entire story in our minds to understand what just happened. We would start with the beginning. Once we heard those five words, and now he was a Samaritan, we would go back to the moment where Jesus meets a gang of 10 leprous men on the road, and one of them is not only an outcast who has a contagious disease, but he's a Samaritan outcast. Someone from a totally unwelcomed country. He's in the group crying out for a miracle. He sees Jesus of Nazareth, the Jew, come along. The other nine, they act like teenage girls in the 90s when they see Jonathan Taylor Thomas. They're like, that's Jesus. He can help us. And the Samaritan thinks to himself, well, he might help you, but he probably won't help me. And yet, Jesus says to the group, go show yourselves to the priest. And this is where the racial division becomes even more awkward because not just were there two groups of people, but they had two different temples. To go show yourselves to the priest would have been the ultimate test. Well, which temple do you go to? Do you go to the Jewish temple, which was in Jerusalem, or do you go to the Samaritan temple, which was in Mount Gerizim? If you've read John chapter 4, I know our ladies and women of the word just did a deep dive onto this, and you understand the differences between the two of them. Completely different systems, and, and they used to fight against which one was right for God's people. The nine Jewish lepers take off for Jerusalem. It's a few days journey. The Samaritan, probably feeling this is a fool's errand. He is now alone by himself. He starts down a different road. He starts going to Mount Gerizim. He looks at his legs. They're still as splotchy as they've ever been. He looks at his hands. They're still covered with sores. He tries to speak because one of the things leprosy would do, it would wreak havoc on your vocal cords. You'd lose your voice. The flaps would deteriorate. And it would be just as raspy as ever. he'd think to himself, this isn't going to work. What am I doing? What a waste. Probably in a moment where he's feeling sorry for himself, he looks down at his feet and he notices something's different. They actually look normal. He looks at his legs and he realizes with every step that he takes, they're clearing up. And he looks at his hands and wouldn't you believe it, It's like he was never diseased in the first place. And what do you do when you realize that you finally have skin that is worthy to go to the priest and be declared clean? You go like this. I'd make you stand up and try this in the comfort of your living room family. That'd be great, but uh, you, you, you freak out is what you do. You go, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And he, this is what the man does. He leaps, he, he resounds, he jumps. He, 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 he realizes that this shouldn't have happened. Jesus didn't have to heal him, but Jesus did heal him. Jesus did see him. He didn't just see the Jews, but he saw him too. And this man can't help it. He runs back to Jesus. He has to say thanks. He has to worship. Everything else can wait. He must give Jesus his highest praise to not say thank you would be sin for him. We see in verse 17 what this drives the man to do. He runs back and he falls at at Jesus' feet in worship. Then um, Jesus answered, look at verse 17. This man falls at his feet. This man enters the town after being outside of her who knows how long. He enters the town. He finds Jesus. He says to him, thank you. Then Jesus answered, verse 17, we "We're not ten cleansed? Jesus is looking around at the people who are with him, who saw the miracle, and he's kind of doing that thing. He goes, hey, didn't I heal ten guys? This is not a, like, question of surprise like jesus is a crazy scientist with a bad flux capacitor who's trying to figure out what went wrong now this is a question of indictment he's looking around saying i did 10 of these where are the other nine was no one found to return and give praise to god except for this foreigner And then leaving the crowd, he looks at the man and he says to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I'm going to come back to those words in a moment, but here's a question, an honest question. Where are the nine? Why was the only one who returned a foreigner? Why at the end of this story is it the Samaritan who is saved while the others are left to obscurity? Is it the racial difference that separates the Samaritan and sets him apart, or is it something else? I, I hope by just asking these questions, I'm modeling for you some of the questions you should ask of the Bible in a helpful way, even if they make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Here's what I think. Where are the nine? I think the nine are on their way to the temple still, having received their blessing and received their miracle. They're going to certify the miracle and get on with their lives. Why? Because religion expects something from the law but the non-religious the outsiders they are the ones who truly highlight the nature of god's all-encompassing love really the most important question we can ask ourselves in this text is what response did jesus expect to get The answer to that question is for clearly ten lepers to return and give praise. But only one, a Samaritan, returns. Only a Samaritan gives praise. And the difference, just to clear this up, is not his race. It's his response. He was truly the only thankful person. The other nine out of ten were unthankful. Their difference of the responses of ingratitude versus thankfulness Show us a heart that is full of self-centeredness versus a heart that is grateful. I already said I want a grateful heart. I know you want a grateful heart. I wonder if we can consider for the short moments left that we have together how this story pushes us from being ungrateful people to having and cultivating a grateful heart. I just want to walk that out with us so that we can be people who don't just express thanks on one weekend of the year, but we can actually live in light of what the gospel does in our hearts, which is to be grateful people daily. So if you're up for that for just a second, I want to just plunge into this. First thing we see here is ingratitude is going to see good results, but it's, fa- it's going to fail to look up and go back. The nine were cleansed. Jesus knows that they were cleansed. They saw their hands cleared up. They saw and heard their voices restored. But instead of looking up and going back, they pressed on and went ahead to the priest to certify the healing. They were, and I don't blame them, out of quarantine. They were on their way back to the Passover meal, which was coming up with their family. It was back to worship, back to gain full employment. The heart of ingratitude that Jesus shows us is a heart that's going to receive and see the good, but fail to go back. And yet we learn from the Samaritan that a real grateful heart recognizes that all we have is from the hand of God. Why was this Samaritan moved to Give praise to God and go back and fall at Jesus' feet. Why? Well, likely because he felt his otherness in this group of outcasts. He, he needed the same mercy, but he was socially beneath the others. The fact that Jesus would heal him too was proof that God is good. We see this in his response, verse 15. He is turned back, he changes his course. He prays God with a loud voice and He falls at his feet. His eyes go up and his eyes go back. I wonder how many times in your life you've experienced a life-changing blessing. Someone left you a sum of money that really changed your living condition or you received a diagnosis that took all of the painful obstacles in your future off the table or, or, or that miracle baby finally showed up in your family and it changed your life. I wonder, have you looked up? Have you gone back? Do you see all that you have is from the hand of God? Nine times out of ten, I think we are prone to accept the good from God and just move on in our lives without honoring him. But if you've encountered Jesus, it's shown you that ultimately the only one who's provided anything for you is him. And so Thanksgiving, a grateful heart, it recognizes that everything, everybody say everything, everything everything i have is from the hand of god there's a second lesson from the nine that we see in the story it centers around the question why didn't they go back the reason most likely is very practical to make the journey from jerusalem back to galilee and samaria would have been incredibly costly I hope you're tracking with me already because you're you're probably saying to yourself, wait, costly? Didn't Jesus just give them the lottery winnings? Didn't he just help them hit the jackpot? How could something be too costly to go back and say thank you? But the ungrateful heart, it receives much but spends little. An ungrateful heart receives much but spends little. This is why ungratefulness and greed go hand in hand. One of the movies that I love to watch with my kids while we decorate the Christmas tree is The Christmas Carol, the Muppet version, which is the real version. <laughs> There's always this poignancy between how just absolutely miserable Scrooge is in comparison to everybody else, but, but greed and ingratitude go hand in hand. What was it that these men received from Jesus, these ten lepers? Well, of course, they received their health. This is a year where we don't take that for granted, do we? This group of men also received back their friends, their families, their wives, their jobs, their abilities to provide. In a sense, they got what we all want, which is a return to normal. Is that not a huge gift? Is it too much of an ask to go back and say, thank you? Well, it would take more time, and I'm really in a hurry to go see my wife. So listen, you can cut me some slack. I'm going to go to the priest and go get home real fast. Well, it would take more money, and you see, I've already been hit by the economic depression, having been you know sitting out in no man's land for the last however many weeks it's been, waiting to be cured, and so I want to go get back to work because my family needs it. No, no, no. The Samaritan shows us a better way. Because while ingratitude receives much and spends little, a grateful heart finds joy in expending the cost. Think about what happened to the Samaritan. Though he was a Samaritan, it cost him just as much to turn around and worship Jesus. We know this because instead of making it to the priest where he was going to have the miracle certified, he doesn't make it to the priest. He turns around mid-journey and rushes back to where Jesus is, costing himself precious days and whatever money it would have taken for him to provide for his family. He gives up even though he still has to go back and see the priest's. It's so worth it for him. He finds joy in expending the cost. We get the impression from Luke that he dances his way back to Jesus. He runs at his feet. He throws himself down. Though it set his journey to communal restoration back a few days, he's worth getting his life back. And Jesus is worthy of his praise. I I gotta tell this story. My friend Eric is watching online. Hey, Eric, how are you? Uh, This past week, I had a chance to see this type of heart play itself out at the HP campus. Um, There's a man, hi, Eric, who had um, a heart attack out of state a couple weeks ago. Was in his car on a trip and far from home and had an episode. Were it not for the kindness of a complete stranger who saw him and gave him CPR, I would not be sharing his story with you today. Spent a few weeks in the hospital out of state very difficult. And the first priority of his week last week was to attend church on Sunday against the advice of all of our staff and our medical professionals. Could barely walk from his car to his chair. We checked in with him twice between those two checkpoints. HP's not big, it's a, like 20 steps. So exhausted, still healing, and yet looked at me and begged me and said, pastor, don't send me home. I've got to be in God's house. I come too far to come home now. He's put me through so much and brought me through that I gotta be in his house to give him praise today. That is a grateful heart that finds joy in expending the energy and the cost to tell God how grateful he is. So, friends, are you hoarding your healing? Are you hoarding your miracle? Or are you using the gift that God has given you to give him back and glorify his name? What has God done in your life that he wants you to turn around and give back to him in praise? wonder what that is. Ultimately, our failure to expend the cost shows us this heart. That ingratitude is, here's the third thing, it's, it's quick to pray, but slow to praise. Quick to pray, but slow to praise. Man, does that describe my high school years quick to pray, God, help me pass this test. And then when I pass, slow to say, thank you, God, for helping me pass that test, just going like, man, that teacher wasn't that bad after all. An ungrateful heart will ask God for everything, but thank him for nothing. Here's a quick diagnostic for us to know if we have a thankful heart or not. How many times have you cried out for God to help you, and he's come through, and then you've just gone on with your life? There were nine who were all in one chorus crying out to one another saying, Jesus have mercy on us. I need help. And the Lord came through. But they didn't acknowledge him. Ungrateful hearts failed to acknowledge God. This was the problem you remember in Romans chapter one, if you remember that far back. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, what's that word? Thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, it's possible to pray but not actually acknowledge God. And yet the Samaritan does the one thing the Nine doesn't. He returns and he worships, he expends the cost, he recognizes the work of God in Christ, which shows us that a grateful heart asks God for mercy but also declares, You are worthy samaritan saw his prayer answered and he responded in praise one of the songs that i sing to my kids at bedtime especially these days in thanksgiving season is is that old 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 hymn it's 400 years old it's from germany it's it's the song now think we all are god my kids have an obsession with old german hymns they're weird pastor's kids It was written, I want to tell you just a little bit about it, it was written in in, uh, 1636 by a Lutheran pastor, Martin Rinker, whose life was crumbling all around him. It was the middle of the Thirty Years' War. His city was sacked three times by invading armies. People had fled to the fortress, those big castles, and they were dying by disease and by famine. This pastor, Martin Rinker, was the only minister alive in this town to care for the people. Every day, he buried, on average, 50 people. Over the span of three years, he buried more than 4,000 people, including his own wife. In 1636, only halfway through the 30 years war, he penned these words, listen to them. Now, thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things have done, in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love, and still is ours today. It's haunting if you think of these words playing themselves out amongst the plague and amongst disease and amongst death all around you but this is the heart of someone who is crying to God for mercy and declaring that he is worthy you know the right time to declare God is worthy is not when you're in a time of normalcy it's when you've been under the cloud of uncertainty it's when all around you is fear and despair it's when the only thing that can keep you going is indeed faith in the Lord What I'm trying to say, church, is now is a time for thanksgiving in our lives. If ever there was a time for us to be grateful people, it wasn't back in 1999 or 2009 or 2019. The time to be thankful is today, in the year that you have etched out of your mind for infamy, 2020. This is a year for us to stake our flag in the ground so deep that says, God, we are thankful that come what may, you are with us. Ultimately, this is the main lesson that we see from this leper, is that in gratitude, listen, listen, in gratitude, it enjoys the gift, but not the giver. What's the problem with the nine? Not that they didn't enjoy the gift. I'm sure they enjoyed their health and their return to their family. But the problem is that they they did not acknowledge the giver. And enjoying a gift without acknowledging the giver is ingratitude. Men, when you got down on one knee and you proposed and your wife said yes, she didn't say, look at that ring. That ring is amazing. I love this ring. I don't care for you, but I want the ring. If she doesn't care for you, she doesn't care for the ring. Gratitude doesn't take the thing and say, no, thank you to the giver. The problem with the sons in Luke 15 is that they want the things of the father. You remember the story of the prodigal son. They wanted the things of the father, but they didn't want the father himself. There was a younger prodigal son who wanted the the father's passport. He wanted the father's money. He wanted the father's life so that he could spend it however he wanted. The older son wanted the father's prestige. He wanted the father's approval. He wanted the father's royalty. But he didn't want the Father. It was only when one came in humility, in repentance, back to the home that he actually received the Father himself and he became grateful. He had gone from death to life. Here's the better way that the Samaritan shows us. It's is not that we would enjoy the gift but not the giver, but rather a grateful heart likes the gift. It's not wrong to like the things of God, but loves the giver even more. I wish I had a church today It was with me. Is that not what a grateful heart does? It says, thank you, God, for your mercies. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your kindness. Thank you, God, most of all, for you. For the fact that you have been my God. You have been my father. You have been my healer. You are the one that I am thankful for. Why did the Samaritan turn around? Of all the ten, he was the only one who had an out. Nobody expected him to come back. Why did he turn around? It was because of what he saw. He saw. Luke explicitly put there, I had you circle it twice. Luke explicitly puts it there for us to think about it. He saw that he was healed. What he saw, his healing, was the result of what Jesus saw, which was his need. It caused Jesus to see him And do something in him. And what Jesus did to him caused him to look at himself and to look back at Jesus. And he saw Jesus differently because of what Jesus had done. There was something about this person who is a great healing physician. Who is so great. he's, He's beyond compare. There was something about this new life that the Samaritan had that was connected to the giver of this new life. There was something wrong for him not to go back and worship him, even though his first thought of Jesus was that he probably wasn't going to help a foreigner like him. But he shows us in his new perspective of who Jesus is that he loves the giver of the gift more than he loves the gift itself. This is where my kids are actually a pretty good example of gratitude. Um, They get a gift that they like, and I love this about my kids. They'll immediately rush to whomever gave it to them and give them the biggest bear hug around their legs. Their tackling form is terrible, but their hug technique is good. Um, Earlier this fall, Kristen and I got a puppy for our kids because everybody got a puppy this year. My daughter had been anticipating this day for a long time. She didn't know we were getting it. I kind of tricked her into thinking she wanted a puppy because I wanted a puppy. So for months, she was anticipating this day. And my other kids were kind of like, whatever, a puppy, who cares? But um, my daughter was like reading books about this certain type of puppy. And then one day, Kristen and I, we, it was time for us, we picked out a puppy we liked. We went and met the breeder. We got the puppy. We did the whole thing. And we, we brought the puppy back to our house, hid in the backyard, had the kids come around the front. And my daughter, she kind of like traipsed back there like, oh, hey, cool, there's a puppy. My middle son, Miles, within 20 seconds had his arms wrapped around his mom, tears down his face, crying, thank you, mommy, thank you, mommy, thank you, mommy, thank you, mommy. I have it on video, but lest I put him into a a therapist office too early, I wasn't gonna show thousands of my friends. See, my son, he loves the puppy, but he loves his mom even more. He wants her to know I love you more than I love this puppy. This is the key to unlocking the story for us because here was a man who has been seen by Jesus and healed by Jesus. This is a man who obeyed the instructions of Jesus. He was cleansed by Jesus. And that's all well and good for him that he chooses in his joy to worship and give thanks to this great physician. And Jesus here in verse 19, he he says to him this amazing statement. He says to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Did you catch that? Jesus actually in this moment, he's acting as a priest. This man thought that he was going to go back and give thanks to the great physician. He unknowingly knows that he's going back to a priest, a greater priest than the priest that he was first going to. He finds Jesus, the great high priest. Instead of having his sins atoned for by a few birds for the cause of leprosy, no, instead Jesus, the priest's, For his soul pardons him with a greater miracle. He gives him the gift of eternal life. Jesus said to him, rise, go your way. And then literally in the Greek it says this, your faith has saved you. I don't have time to get into it. R. Kent Hughes makes a great case for why we should read this verse. Your faith has saved you. Jesus is playing the part of the priest that doesn't offer just temporary cleanliness. He gives him something greater. He gives the Samaritan, can you believe it, salvation. Entrance into the kingdom of God that maybe he thought was only reserved for a certain type of person. If he ever wondered if he belonged, Jesus made no bones about it. It's the grateful who are welcomed into the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying when he says, rise and go your way, like go home. Your faith has saved you. What is he saying? Well, he's saying this. He's saying you could have had just the first miracle, which was fine in itself, temporary healing, that one day you might have been at risk of contracting leprosy again. But because you in gratitude returned to me and you found me, the first miracle was nothing compared to what I'm about to do for you eternally. There is an eternal miracle that I will do, not just in saving your body, but by curing the incurable disease of your heart. Rise, go, the kingdom of God is for you. <laughs> and I always got to read the book of Luke with an eye on Luke's original audience. You need to do this too. Luke chapter one tells us who that audience is. Luke says this, "Inasmuch as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses of the ministers of the word have delivered them to us it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some times past to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught who was theophilus theophilus Who was the person that was supposed to read this story of 10 lepers, one a Samaritan coming back, getting thanks and getting salvation? Who was this man? He was a non-Jew. He was a Gentile who had found himself worshiping this savior, Jesus. He looked up in the synagogue one day and realized that everybody around him was Jewish except for him and a couple other people. His one question was, is it okay for me to be here? He wanted to know, is it okay that I can have certainty that Jesus is for me? And I think of Theophilus reading this account of Luke saying, is it okay for me to be here? And Luke writing down these little triggers for him to catch it. He says, now Jesus had to pass along Samaria and Galilee. And then later he says, now this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus himself highlights it. He says, well, this is the only person that came back, this foreigner. And then Jesus says, rise, go your way. Your faith has healed you. And I can't help but think that just like Theophilus would have had this moment in his mind, that Jesus sees me too. You and I, Wherever you are, wherever you're watching from today, wherever campus you're, you're, you're hearing this sermon at, wherever you're hearing the sound of my voice today, I want you to know this so clearly, that God is for you too. And friends, Jesus has seen you too. Y'all have been really quiet this whole time, but I guys got to tell you that we have this incredible promise from God that the hinge between temporary happiness and eternal salvation is a faith that expresses itself in gratitude. Because gratitude is the recognition that God gives me everything. He's worthy of the cost. He's worthy not just of prayers, but of praise. And while I like his stuff, I love him more. This is the portrait of the greatest Samaritan, a grateful heart. But listen, here's one of my fears as a pastor. My fear is that we might miss the difficult seasons of life when they're over. We we might forget to praise God for his faithfulness. Let me just be really clear. When COVID is no longer on our radar, I believe that day is coming, amen? When COVID is no longer on our radar, are you going to forget the fact that God was present with you every step of the way through these trudging months of casserole? This is a phrase I borrowed from my friend Scott at the HP campus, he said, uh, COVID is like casserole. Just all the days blend together. There's no flavor to it at all. Just one bite after another. It's the same, it's the same, it's the same. And after a while, you hate casserole. You just hate it. Are you gonna forget that God saw you in the midst of whatever it was that you needed in this moment? My fear for myself is that nine times out of 10, I just go on with my life. Nine times out of 10, I just take the blessing, and I say, on to the next thing for me. The example of this grateful Samaritan that we have to pick up today, that we have to hold on to, is maybe that we would have eyes to see anew the one who sees you. This is the lesson of this man, that he saw with new eyes the one who saw him that he finally got a picture of who Jesus was and what he could do in his life. He finally got a picture for the heart that Jesus has for the outcast and the downtrodden and the discouraged and the diseased. He finally got a picture of the one who has all power and all glory. We would see anew the one who sees you. That's not good speech, but that's really good theology. God sees you, friends. He's sending you into miracles on the regular that you don't even know are about to hit you. He's working on your behalf to cause you to see him in a new light. Don't you see? The first time that the Samaritan meets Jesus, he calls him Jesus Master. But the next time he meets him, he calls him Healer. The third time he sees him, he says, you're my Savior. He could only see Jesus for who he is because Jesus saw him for who he could be. Now, I want to say it this way. God sees us so that we could see him. God sees us in our needs so that we could see him in his abundance of power. God sees us at our worst so that we could see him at his best. God sees us in our isolation so that we could see him united together in the gathered assembly of people praising his name. I wonder what causes your voice to be lifted up to God today and for you to fall on your face at Jesus' feet in gratitude. I wonder, church, have you been healed? Have you been provided for? Have you seen his faithfulness? Have you been redeemed? If so, you ought to look up. You ought to look back. And you better give him some praise.